Hello, and welcome to episode 130 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, December 7th, 2023. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? Tis the season. We're in it. No kidding. No kidding. No kidding. Welcome to our final episode of 2023. Wow. Which is also mind-blowing. Yeah. So much going on right now. So we should probably get chatting with On the Needles, On the Easel, On the Table, and On the Nightstand and finish off this year strong. Let's do it. On the Needles. First thing I wanted to say was just kind of a funny thing. It is not technically a knitting project, but my Fitbit has up- upgraded. If it thinks you're working out, it will now tell you, did you want to start tracking your walk or whatever you're doing? So I've had twice now when I've been knitting, it thinks I'm at a spinning class or something like uh, the bicycle spinning, not fiber spinning, presumably. <laughs> and something I forget what the other option is, but it was something which I just thought was really funny, I guess, because my hands are moving. I don't know. I didn't think my heart rate was getting all that <laughs> excited Elevated, about the knitting. Yeah. yeah. So I thought that was kind of funny. And it's happened twice. It feels more than just a random thing. We'll see if it keeps happening again. Track that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if anybody else has that happening, let me know, because I think that's pretty funny. All right. So December has just, whew, my knitting is out of control. Every year I say I'm going to keep myself in control. I'm not going to knit. 20 presents, or I'm going to knit them in advance. I'm going to keep my countdown knitting under control. No, all of it immediately goes out the window. The peppermint fumes hit on December 1st, and it just wackiness. I may have gotten a row or two done on my Rome shawl, the assigned pooling one before December hit. That one is probably not going to get any more love until the new year. My Ilhab or Elorin Sucha in the Sugar Plum Circus sock. Scorpio, which is purple and amazing. I am just a smidge away from being done with the body. Well, the plain part of the body, and then I will do the hem. I was working on that, working on that, working on that, so I could get as much done as possible before the Christmas crazies happened. So I did pretty well. I got a lot done, and then I had to stop to measure it to see where I was, and that was just brought everything to a screeching halt. And then December happened. So I did manage to take it to my room and hold it up against some other sweaters that I like how they fit. And it does seem to be about where I need it to be. So at some point I will start, I might do maybe another half inch or so on the body and then start the hem. So there's not too much left, but I don't think it'll be something I will be wearing this season, which is too bad. But I have all of winter and things happen in January and February as well. So stay tuned for that. And then... (laughs) I went off on a kind of a wild goose chase. There's this hat that I've wanted to knit for the past two years. The school mascot for my son's team is a red devil. At the track events, there has been a dad that has had a knit red hat with little devil horns on it. I thought it was the most adorable thing. And I think he (laughs) bought it somewhere. But I kept thinking, obviously, I can make that. That's not complicated. It's a red hat. You knit some horns. No problem. And I keep forgetting to do it. He started playing soccer, which he's not done in two years. So I have two seasons left in which to wear a red devil hat. So I said, okay, I've got to knit it because the season started. This is when it's cold. I'll want to wear it. So that was what I did. I just knit a basic red hat. Actually, I think I used the explicate pattern again, just to kind of get my decreases because she does four decreases. So it kind of makes a squarish top. 
which makes it a little easier to stick the horns on. And then I use the pattern for Easy Satan Devil Horns by Kitty McKay. <laughs> she attaches them to a headband and you can use it as a Halloween costume. I have not technically finished this. I'm calling it done. All the knitting is done. I need to stuff the horns and sew them onto the hat. And that will take all of, I don't know, five minutes. So I'm counting it as done. And I'm pretty excited about that. I found a most of a skein of Madeline Tosh Sport in Scarlet in my stash. So I was able to use that. And that was pretty quick. And I got that done. And, and I feel very happy about that. And uh, he has a game tomorrow. So hopefully I will remember to finish it and wear it to that. But mostly it's been just Christmas knitting. I've actually gotten a good bit done on my Christmas Christmas. <laughs> I'm calling it Christmas is the new black. It's the vanilla is the new black socks. I think this is it was like the 10th pair I've started, but it'll be I don't know, I guess the 12th pair that I finished because I did a couple more in between in my lollipop yarn quintessential in we need a little Christmas that I started last year and stopped working on because it wasn't Christmas anymore. So now I'm actually working on them. I have finished the first sock because again, soccer, there's a decent amount of sitting around. So I've gotten a lot done. And I have started on the second. I'm not terribly far into it, but I am making some progress. So I feel pretty good about those. Hopefully I'll be able to wear those for this season. Then I did not start the No Matter What Mystery Gnome Along by Sarah Shira, which is this year's Advent Gnome, because I decided to start making a gift gnome for my aunt using the Make Gnome Mistake pattern. And it is where the gnome is sort of gnocchi shaped <laughs> instead of long he's wide and very adorable and then the the hat had a co color work pattern on it with some little fluffy bits and a mushroom so what i did is i found a color work christmas pattern christmas tree in snow by jeanette murphy and i made myself a little chart that stuck in the christmas tree instead of the mushroom and I'm doing it in Christmas colors. I'm using my leftover Porter Wool Company in that beautiful dark Christmassy green and some Cascade Heritage sock in snow. And I haven't figured out which red I'm doing yet. But so I'm working on the hat right now and it's looking pretty cute. I'm pretty proud of myself for mixing things up and sticking that tree in the pattern and making my own little chart. And so that has been fun. So that is my current gnome pattern. I am, I am still the orange <laughs> color. Just use pink. We'll see. So, well, but now I'm working on this gnome. I've got some other things going on. I'm sort of feeling like I don't, I can live without it. I can, well, no, I'm not. I mean, I have the pattern. I'm getting the clues. Gnomes don't take that long. So I, I think what I'm going to do is just sort of read along. I will be, the mystery reveal will be watching what other people knit. And then at some point I will decide, does it really need to be orange? Do all of the orange bits need to be orange? What, what will I do? So we'll see. But I'm enjoying the little story she does, and there's always little little cute things. So I'm enjoying it while not knitting. But at some point, I will knit this gnome because yeah, because I do like knitting gnomes. And unless it's a carrot, you can turn it pink. Exactly. Yeah. Or red, quite frankly. But pink, <laughs> pink is fun for Christmas. It, it yeah, I guess pink and green could be. Uh huh. Okay, I'll think about Different. it. Different. I will ponder it. Ponder. And then I also have. I have been opening the yarn for my <gasps> Advent. Advent calendar. It's beautiful. It is. She said it was a gradient. And so far we are in the very like burgundy purple area of the gradient. And it's lovely. It's so my colors. Gorgeous. But I'm not knitting them because I have <laughs> figured out what I want to knit with it. I think I know which pattern, but I don't entirely know. 
And I kind of want to, so I, I kind of decided the same sort of thing. I want to see how it's all going to play out. And then I will see what I want to do with the yarn. But it is going to look really good with, we got a full skein of yarn plus the 24 minis. The full skein is a mustardy yellow. So it's going to look gorgeous with these like dark burgundy purpley colors. So I think it'll work out. I just have other things I want to work on. And so what I decided to do to get my little advent fix in is to knit Zemi's 2023 advent cowl. I've done this multiple years. I did it last year or the year? No, I did it the year before, or I started it the year before. It was a color work one. I didn't get very far. I ended up knitting it the following year and it was amazing. I checked out this year's. It's just textured. So you can do solid. It's not color work. She has four different sizing options, one of which is only 160 stitches around. Super fast. Oh my gosh. So if you don't do the like the super long infinity scarf, it goes really quickly. And then I found in my stash, Sincere Sheep Coastal in the colorway firsts. And this was from the Made Here Club from 2021. I think, I think it's spore weight. It's Sporter DK. And it's local yarn, local dye materials. It's a bluish green, possibly more greenish blue, depending on what light you're looking at it in. Either way, there's some green bits in it. So it feels vaguely Christmassy. So the coastal yarn is merino wool, Rambouillet, wow, that's a hard word to say together, uh, some linen, and silk. So it is, it is a pretty cool yarn, and I am excited to get to finally use it. And I'm excited how it's turning out. So there, there's, there's a little bit of cabling, there's knit and purl back and forth going on, there's a little bit of lace. Her patterns always turn out really cool. So I am enjoying that. And that is kind of, that is my little five minutes, or it's a little bit more than five minutes, half hour of calm. But I am proud of myself for choosing the smallest option and knowing what I need and what I will have time for. And so it's just going to be a quick little cute cowl that I am, I am very excited about. Fun. And then I also, because I can't not suddenly just decide to cast on gifts. Oh boy, here we go. This and this one I sort of knew was happening. I did the the Helen Stewart Knit Vent 2023. She had these really cute DK socks, uh, the gingerbread house socks. So DK socks are going to knit up super quickly because the yarn is bigger than fingering weight yarn. They're going to be nice and cozy. And the yarn she used was so cute. It's a the main color is a light brown with little pinks and blues swirled through, and then it comes with two mini skeins, one in the blue, one in the pink. And so you use the contrast colors for the cuff and the toes. And then there's a little lace pattern on the socks. The yarn is from NNK Hand-Dyed Yarns. And she was in Australia. But it was so cute and adorable. And I said, I I just, I want to make this exact thing. I don't feel like looking around for the appropriate color brown yarn. I might have it. I didn't I didn't feel like doing it, especially in DK. I don't have a ton of DK yarn. And this one does have the, the extra swirls of color. So I got those. I started making them. And then I realized I had cast on the wrong size. So I ripped it all out and restarted last night. But I had only been knitting for, I don't know, I had, I got my hair done yesterday. So while I was sitting in the chair, I was knitting. So a couple hours worth of it, not even. And I had half a sock done. Wow. So it was painful to rip it out because, again, half a sock done, but it was 
way too small. But so I feel like I'm gonna be able to knit these up pretty quickly. Yeah, and then I have a few more things that I want to knit. That I'm not gonna talk about you'll hear about them in the new year. Hopefully. Anyway, that's that's the plan. I have so much time though, right? Yeah, obviously. This is what happens in December is that all of my knitting goes wonky. <laughs> Maybe not the knitting, but it's relatable. Yeah. Yeah. So on the easel, we have a little joint art event that we went to that was super fun. Uh, the Legion of Honor here in San Francisco is having an exhibit of Botticelli's drawings. I'm gonna let Courtney talk about it because she's the artist and <laughs> she will actually understand and they may have been serving cocktails while we were there. So I was like, it's beautiful. I love it all. Well, it was my first time experiencing the Legion at night. And I thought that that alone was kind of special. That was fun. And I always... I'm in awe of the fresh floral arrangements. And so there's so much about it besides the art that I really love. But this this exhibition is one of the first ever Botticelli drawing expeditions ever pulled together, like dedicated to his drawings. I'm not a Botticelli expert, but as an artist, I think what really drew me in was it was like seeing his sketchbooks on the wall, framed and on the wall. And I love to see the pro another artist's process. Obviously, this is a master. And so that's even more special. But I love everyone's sketchbook. I'm really democratic in that respect. I thought it was so compelling to see how much he did with very little material. So he was usually sketching on, for the most part, prepared linen. And he was using, what did we see? Like two different, two tones of brown ink mm -hmm. and then white chalk and maybe a little bit of charcoal, right? Yeah. It was like four materials yeah. on linen. And he was creating exquisite detail and depth and sensitivity to all of his portraits. A lot of these were preparation pieces for a larger scale painting, obviously. It was just really intimate and beautiful to see this collection all pulled together. I was happy to go with you. It was really nice. And then they had some, they did have some of the finished paintings mm -hmm. that... The Magi one, Adoration of the Magi. You know, they don't travel very often. So that yeah. was a big deal. They had a lot of Fra Lippi, his mentor or mm -hmm. teacher. They had a lot of his work as well. So that was interesting. Yeah, I, I want to go back and see it again and take a little more time. You know, the Friday night party atmosphere was... <laughs> Fun. A little distracting, but yeah, yeah, very fun. They had it broken up into, well, what the curator um, had seen as like five different aspects of his artistic mm -hmm. career. And that was also really useful for my brain. I mean, he was painting in like the mid 1400s. And I think it's incredible that this amount of oh, the yeah. drawings have survived. Right. Yeah, that was really amazing. That there was, that they were protected and saved. And I... I'm blown away by that. Yeah, that was really yeah a fun night. So now to a a little <laughs> less a different a, a little more modest different genius a little more modest um, studio. A gouache vember has wrapped up. What a fun group we had this year. We had some really excellent contributors and paintings and sketches and really colorful and it was just joyful all the way around. I missed a few as I usually do. 
and I may go back and try to fill in some of my my missing prompts. But on the whole, I really painted a lot at the beginning of the month and then, you know, life gets busy around Thanksgiving and family home and that kind of thing. And now we're on to Birds in December, hosted by Blue Shine Art, who is Charlotta Hamilton, and she has a morning painting group. Every morning she paints with a group of really dedicated and talented painters online, and they are all doing Birds in December. And it's not just the birds, but it's like a portrait with a bird on her head. And then they're just so fun. I'm not doing that. I felt myself getting really tight at the end of Guashvember. Like my painting style was, everything was getting really too fiddly. And so I switched to acrylics for Birds in December. And that feels good because I don't have as much control over it. And I need to finish up a very big acrylic painting. So this is a way for me to transition to that project. I'm also at this very minute waiting for the delivery of the 2024 calendar. Oh. And I have painted, I think about 130 envelopes. Envelopes are totally ready to go for the family list. I just need to paint the ones that will hopefully sell on the website. We'll see. So that's been my obsession this week. I've painted so many candy cane striped camellias on the front of the envelopes. That's why I'm thinking pink. Yes. It looks really Christmassy, this candy cane camellia, because the theme of the calendar is florals, heavily floral. It's called Florals, Some Fauna, and the Occasional Field Guide. Then I'm doing some secret Christmas painting that I'm not ready to talk about, but I am so excited for because I think it might be a really fun little... I mean, I'm doing some very specific ones for Christmas, but then then it might just become this thing that I do. (laughs) We'll see. So that's what's going on. The studio is a mess, but like the best kind. You know, there's piles of envelopes and gift sketches and a big painting that's unfinished. It's all just great. I love it. That's like... My front room, because all of my little bags, my knitting project bags have just taken over. And my husband, just every time he walks in, just kind of looks at it and shakes his head and walks out. Because <laughs> it used to just be around my chair, but now I've been sitting on the couch. And so the coffee table is all covered because I keep picking up different projects to work on them. And I'm yeah. not going to put them away. You need a room of your own. I do, really. <laughs> Got to get those children out of here so I can have one. All right. On the table, I've been having some fun cooking adventures. It's going back and forth between really fun cooking and then, oh my gosh, we have two minutes to eat. What are we going to, what are we going to do? So one thing I did was a vegetarian cassoulet from Smitten Kitchen. I think I wanted beans. I think that was the whole point of it. I had some white beans from my most recent shipment from Rancho Gordo and I forget which kind they were. They were, they weren't cassoulet beans, but it said you could use them for cassoulet. So I thought, well, sure, that sounds great. So I used those. She calls for leeks and carrots and celery as your base, which is great. Um, I love leeks. Leeks are good. And that was the only of those three that I had. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I had carrots and they were a little bit too old. And then the celery, I don't really like celery. So I figured "Ah, we don't need celery. So we had leeks. It was great. It was fine. Totally fine. White beans, uh, a big can of diced tomatoes and some tomato paste to kind of boost up the flavor. She had a whole garlic breadcrumb recipe part of it that I just said, eh, panko's good. 
throw some in there. So mine ended up being much more soupy than how I envisioned a cassoulet to be. I think of it as more stew-like and thicker, which, you know, is totally fine. When I threw the breadcrumbs in, that kind of soaked it up. I got some kielbasa as well and sauteed that separately, threw it in the bowls for boy two and I. And I mean, it was really good. And we had leftovers, which is always nice. Do you have an immersion blender? I do. Yeah. She said something about smushing some of the beans to make it thicker as well, which I did a little bit, but... That's what I... I did that twice this week, oh, yeah. but you don't, you, it just takes a couple pulses yeah. and it makes it like the texture is great. Yeah. So that is a good idea. I just, I'm advocating use the stuff in your kitchen. Yeah. Tools. Yeah. No, that is good. Uh, but it was, it was fine. It was just more soupy instead of, yeah. but it was plenty hearty. It was delicious. Everybody enjoyed it. Very wintry, which is where we are these days. And then because of the soccer business, I have brought the crock pot back out. I've used it two, maybe even three times since we've last talked. So I'd forgotten how nice it is. You do have to be home during the day, which I am. So I'm able to do this. But then to be able to come back after your kid has had an hour and a half of running around on the soccer field and just go shower while I finish things off. It's really nice. So the first thing I made was quinoa tacos. And they were surprisingly good. <laughs> Everybody liked them. They felt very ground beefy. They didn't taste it, but they had that texture for sure. And no chopping. Just throw everything in the crock pot, which is really nice. Because I do love my Cook's Illustrated crock pot book, but there's a lot of prep work often for theirs, which, you know, you're going to get more authentic flavor for whatever. But sometimes that's just not the point. Yeah. That's not why you want the crock pot. I'm sitting here thinking, that's a really interesting recipe. And in order to get my guys to go for it, I might add a little bit of ground turkey. Yeah. So you do you. Yeah. So besides the quinoa, it has black beans, can of fire roasted tomatoes, frozen corn, because what else are you going to use at this time of year? There's no (laughs) real corn and it gets frozen fresh off. I want to say the vine off the cob. (laughs) So... (laughs) Plenty delicious. Um, Enchilada sauce. I did have to make sure that I found some gluten-free one because usually they are not, but I did. So that was very exciting. And some taco seasoning. You could just use a bag or make your own. She has a suggested one. I have my one that I always use. Just throw everything in, stir it up. It has to be on high to make the quinoa pop is what she said, but I think it was only four hours or so. Mm, That was the one that was a little tricky. She said two and a half to four hours, depending on how hot your crock pot is. And I think mine went for about three to three and a half. And I pro- it could have been less, I think, or I needed more liquid because it was just starting to get a little dark around the edges. But again, it was tasty. And then, you know, top it with all your regular taco toppings. I think we just had sour cream and avocado. So it was it was really good. And the, the boy was okay with it. And it made a ton. So we definitely had leftovers. And my husband ate a lot of that during the week. So that one was a thumbs up. And then, oh, that is from Chelsea's Messy Apron, which is a cute name. And the link for that and all of these will be in the show notes. And then I took another Julia Tertian cooking class because it sounded super fun and holiday spirited. I got, well, multiple good recipes, one that I want to talk about for sure. It was a menu for a little cocktail party. So we had recipes for cranberry whiskey sours, spice mulled wine. And for both of those, she had non-alcoholic variations as well, which I thought was great. 
and I'm excited to try those. I mean, I'm excited to try both of both versions, but it's nice to have the options. And then pork and pineapple bites and smoky white bean and pimentone dip. Both of those are in Simply Julia, if you are interested and have those books. And then the one that I was really excited about was Kind of Deviled Eggs. And apparently that's in Small Victories, which I do have and never noticed. Oh my gosh, mind blowing. <laughs> Maybe it shouldn't be. I did find it. So deviled eggs, delicious. Who doesn't love it? I mean, I'm sure there are people that that don't. Most people, I feel, are very into the deviled egg. Uh, they're such a pain to make. Kind of. I mean, you got to dig the thing out and put a mix and put it, I don't know. It's annoying. I find it to be annoying. Her thing is you hard boil the eggs, slice them in half, slap some mayonnaise on there and put your topping on. Done. Super fast. Same taste profile. The mouthfeel is a little bit different because it's not all mixed up and quite as creamy. But if you're in a rush or just don't feel like it, family dinner, feel like deviled eggs. It was it was great. We had a teacher luncheon. Parents brought food for the teachers because our teachers are amazing. So I thought this seemed like a good opportunity to test it out. And they were all gone. So apparently people liked them. The other thing that I thought was interesting is she put hot sauce on hers. Mm -hmm. One of the other people watching commented that she usually puts relish in there, which is the way I lean. I guess hot sauce actually makes more sense because deviled eggs... I just thought that was interesting. I didn't know if it was a coastal thing or just random variations of what people like to put on their eggs. I am here for every variety of deviled egg. Absolutely. Truffled, mustard, oh, yeah. spicy, pickled shallots. Yeah. Celery. But most of that is not super spicy. It's flavorful. It's salty. Salty vinegar, but not not the full-on hot sauce. I did half of them. I had capers. The ones I did for the teachers, oh, I did half I love the capers. Because again, really simple. And then the other half, I threw some chili crisp on there. Brilliant. Right? I'm going to go home and make that today for lunch. And then the leftovers is egg salad. <laughs> you mush them up, you have egg salad. So many good ideas from this Julia Tertian. Another little plug for her class also. She has gift certificates if you are still looking for Christmas gifts for people or holiday, whatever. You need birthday. It's an hour and a half class. She does it all in real time. So these are all super fast, easy recipes. She sends you the recipes in advance. So if you want to cook along with her, you can. They're usually two o'clock on a Sunday or two o'clock Eastern on a Sunday. So I do not usually cook along because I am not making myself cocktails at 11 a.m. on a Sunday <laughs> or, you know, pork and pineapple bites at 11 a.m. on a Sunday is also not really happening. But I do enjoy watching them. You get the recipes, you get the shopping list, you get the video. And she's just really fun. It's really enjoyable to watch her. And she's chatting and you can ask questions and she'll answer them real time. And they're a nice, fun little way. She has some kids cooking classes on there now if you have little ones. Good stuff. How Excellent. About you? I have a lot of food. I think I've been cooking. Feels like it's been a little while. Mm -hmm. So Matthew is our senior. Right after Thanksgiving, he and his friends did a Friendsgiving, which is adorable. I told him, well, what do you want to take with you? This is potluck. Like, what do you want to bring? And he said, I was thinking deviled eggs or a salad. And I suggested, well, maybe you want an entree like empanadas or stromboli. And he said, that sounds good. And I said, you need to choose. And so he pulled his friends and everybody chose something different. So we made, I made, <laughs> if we're being real, I made the deviled eggs and the stromboli for his party. The deviled eggs, I did a very traditional 
deviled egg with a little bit of minced onion, lots of mustard, a little bit of mayonnaise, a pinch of celery salt um, with a lot of paprika on top. Totally traditional. And I use my pastry bag to get the little Mm. swirly. So fancy. I know. I'm so fancy. But I only made a dozen eggs, so it felt really fast. I would not want to make deviled eggs for 60 people. No. But for six or eight, easy. Then I made stromboli. Stromboli is not Italian, although it is like New Jersey Italian, but I grew up with it in Connecticut. I used the La Monica's pizza dough from Molly Stone's because I thought that would be faster. I don't know that it is. That's our local grocery store or a local grocery store. Yeah, because it was frozen, solid, rock hard. Mm -hmm. And by the time it thawed out enough to do anything with it, I could have made it on my own. But anyhow, so Stromboli is like a giant rectangle of dough that you cover. Well, it shouldn't be gigantic because it makes it really hard to move, note to self, in the future. A layer of pizza sauce. And then I did no nitrate salami and pepperoni with roasted bell pepper and then great cheese and then Parmesan. And you roll it all up and tuck the ends under and do an egg wash on it and bake it off. And then it gets sliced up and devoured and everyone loves it. So Matthew took one, because it was huge, to the friend's party. And we had one at the house. And my husband near single-handedly ate the whole thing. I like it. I just, I need, I need more vegetables in it. And I think ours would have been great if I had done artichoke hearts. And I don't know. I don't know what else you could put in there that would. Feels like you could even, you could do a salad stromboli, like put a nice little Mm. vinegary greens just on top. Yeah. Like you do with pizza sometimes. Yeah. So something to consider is how to. Veg it up. Yeah. Yeah. Make it a little more veg forward. Exactly. The other thing that I made this, I made a lot of things this week. The other component thing that I made this week is a quinoa crunch. Oh, yum. You, is that the veg forward one? Is there um, one veg forward? It's, there I'm might sure be one in veg one. forward. Okay. Yeah. This one I just cooked off a pot of quinoa and then I oven roasted half of it with some zatar seasoning mm. and a little bit of olive oil. And then I put it in a jar and had it on the counter. And I have put it on nearly everything else that I cooked this week. How long do you roast it for? It takes a little less than 30 minutes, depending on like it's supposed to be a pretty level, thin layer of quinoa. So your mileage may vary, as Monica likes to say. But it went on the... Northern Spy Kale Salad that I have your cousin Anne to thank for sharing that recipe with us. Is that the Instagram photo one? Yes. Yes. It is an excellent kale salad with a very simple lemon and olive oil dressing. It's roasted butternut squash with lots of kale, pepitas, feta, I think. I added artich- I mean, if it isn't called for that, it's always a good right, thing to add. Right, yeah. I added artichokes and the quinoa crunch just for fun. So thank you, Anne, for that. I also made a stewed garum masala lentil with buttery shrimp. Oh. Yum. I put the kale quinoa or the, <laughs> the quinoa crunch on that as well. Those lentils had stewed tomatoes and onions and celery, 
I really liked the texture. It was a little soupy, so I pulsed it with an immersion blender. And then I also made, we're really loving the lentils right now. I made a creamy coconut curried green lentil stew, which was predominantly lentils. And it is finished off with coconut milk. Yum. I put a gigantic handful of power. What am I saying? A handful of power greens. I put in an obscene amount of power greens and then they just melt into it. Yeah. Yeah. As they do. Yeah. So loving the curry still. And then I made a chicken loaf. Ooh. Uh-huh. So I saw a little sneaky idea where somebody took chicken breast, seasoned it and put it in a loaf pan and baked it off in the loaf pan. I have a real problem with chicken where I often slightly overcook it and then I hate it. No, it's just the worst. So by putting it in the loaf pan, you reduce the surface area. You retain more moisture because you kind of like fold the parchment over the top of it. And it creates a more succulent chicken. And then you just slice it or you can take out the chicken breast portions. It worked great. I did my traditional tzatziki, like it was uh, marinated in Greek yogurt and seasonings. I think next time I'll try more of a dry rub because I didn't like the look of how the yogurt cooked Mm. into it. It didn't brown really because it was in a loaf, but the flavor was great. So that is one that I will revisit because it was much less fussy than, not that it's fussy to cook chicken breast on a sheet, but I didn't have to worry about it. Because chicken breast, there's always one side that's thicker and... Unless you're going to take the time to pound them out and make sure they're all super even, which who has time for that? I hate pounding out chicken. It's my second least favorite chicken kitchen chore. (laughs) Chicken chore. Chicken chore. And that's been my kitchen. We've been cooking a lot and it's going it's going really well with all these lentils and everybody feels good and it's, nice. it's a good wintry kitchen. Excellent. I will say I have made my first recipe out of snacking bakes. We are in for a fun review season. And again, Snacking Bakes is the next cookbook we will be reviewing. We haven't quite figured out, but definitely in the new year we'll do that review. She wrote Snacking Cakes a few years ago, which I adore, and I've made so many recipes. She has the powdered donut cake, which is really great. So this one is Snacking Bakes. So there's cookies, there's bars, there are also cakes, but they are, as far as I can tell, all new, no repeats from the first book. I got it and sat down and read it and (laughs) was annoying her severely with all the text I was sending. And I said, I'm actually being very restrained because she also has a lot of photos that make everything look extra amazing. Uh, And it is lots of variety. Yes. In terms of flavor profiles and flour sources. Yeah, there's several that are naturally gluten-free. She has a couple of vegan options as well, including gluten-free chocolate chip cookies and regular chocolate chip cookies. So we will have a a cookie taste off, I assume. Yeah, I think the timing is good because we'll have boys around Mm -hmm. for a little bit. So I I I will try to get a few in. I might try and get my my college kid to, to make some as well. Because he does most of the eating of the desserts. Yeah. I think that would be a good exercise for Nathan, too, since he has, yeah. like, come out of the kitchen. 
he, ready to go. He is so empowered by his cooking. And yeah. and they are great. really simple. Her idea behind the whole series is a parent trying to whip something up during nap time while the kid is napping. Not well, while you are napping, obviously. But they are usually one bowl, very easy, not complicated to make. So, so that is something to look forward to in the new year. Then on the nightstand, only two weeks worth of books <laughs> this time. The first one is 10 Things That Never Happened by Alexis Hall. We're going to start off with some romance. I love Alexis Hall's books. They are funny and warm and witty, and they're just, they're just adorable. So this one is the story of Sam, who is the manager of a bed and bath store in Northern England. His branch is not doing well, so his a huge jerk of a boss, Jonathan, has called him to London, basically to yell at him. Sam goes down, they get in a big fight, Jonathan fires Sam and all of his employees, Sam backs up and falls into a display, hits his head, gets knocked out, has a concussion, gets taken to the hospital, wakes up, and says something that makes Jonathan thinks he has amnesia. And Sam thinks, I should go with this and see if I can buy myself some time to get this whole firing thing reversed. So now he's down in London. He has no one to take care of him. He allegedly doesn't remember who he is. So he ends up moving in with Jonathan until he feels better and gets the all clear from the doctors. Shenanigans ensue. <sighs> it was really adorable. Alexis always has really fun side characters. So we've got Jonathan's family. Sam is still secretly talking with his employees back in, I forget where they are, Sheffield, I think. And as a bonus, it's Christmas time which I did not realize was going to be happening, but it was a great start to my now annual murder and romance Christmas reading binge. I started this last year. I don't know why I decided. I just thought it would be fun because there are a lot of Christmas murder and romance books out there. Absolutely. And I didn't get to all of them. So I had to continue it this year. So that one was a really good start. My next one was another romance one, A Merry Little Meet Cute by Julie Murphy and Sierra Simone. I have read some Julie Murphy. She wrote one of the Disney princess retellings, which was very sweet and very closed door. This one is like a big old boozy glass of Christmas eggnog with some extra booze and little nutmeg. Very, very spicy. This one might not be for everyone. So B is our heroine. She is an adult film star who is trying to make the transition into mainstream films. And she finally gets the opportunity to star in a Hallmark Christmas movie. So she flies off to Christmas Notch, Vermont, a town that is set up to be Christmas all the time. So they always do all their, you know, Christmas movies there. And the problem is if anyone finds out about her alternative career, Hallmark will get in trouble and she'll get fired and the film will never get made. Her co-star is her former teen crush. He was in a boy band and he was the bad boy of the boy band. And his career took a nosedive when he was involved in a scandal at the Olympics. <laughs> and so he is trying to remake his career, have a squeaky clean image. When B shows up, he realizes she is one of his favorite OnlyFans stars. <gasps> so he is still a bit of a bad boy, but he is trying. He, his mother has uh, mental health issues and his sister is trying to go to college. So he is really wants to clean up his image. And if they find out he's dating a sex worker, it'll be problematic. But it's Christmas. So there's magic everywhere. It was really fun. It was definitely open door. 
and a little bit more, I think just the tone of it is different than a lot of romances that I've read because it is just steeped in very positive sexuality. Um, both B and Nolan are bisexual. We've got uh, his mom has mental health issues. So we have that in there. B is fat as well. So we're dealing with body positivity and discrimination in those ways. We have all sorts of representation and issues in this book, but also really sweet because Christmas. <laughs> so I enjoyed this one. And this one came out last year. And apparently there are now two more books in this series. I don't know if they're also Christmas related, but I really enjoyed the characters are super quirky. There's a lot of love, not just romantic love, but friendship love in these books as well. So I, I would give this one a thumbs up also. And then the murder ones, little little switch here. So you're going from Christmas romance to Christmas murder? Yeah. Okay. I mean, Just... it was actually more back and forth. <laughs> I'm kind of doing these out of order from my actual reading order, because you all don't need the same kind of whiplash that I, I received. <laughs> um, the Christmas Appeal by Janice Hallett. She wrote the Twifford Code, which I read a little bit ago, which was really good. And this one is very similar. I would recommend reading it and not doing an audio because it is uh, epistolatory with texts and newsletters and emails, and it's easier to read all the headings than to have to listen to someone say, to Janice from Courtney 15 times in a row. Anyway, so we are in England. We are in a small town. They have a local theater troupe that is going to put on a Christmas show to raise money uh, to save the church roof things are happening. It was really interesting. You don't, we don't know who the murder doesn't happen or no, we don't even know if it's a murder. There's no body until maybe three quarters of the way through the book. And we're not sure who it is or what's happened. And so you spend a lot of the first part of it trying to figure out what's going to happen. There's lots of drama between the, the dramatists in, in the theater troupe as there is in, you know, any small town. And there's, there's some drug deals. There's, there's all sorts of stuff going on. It was really fun. I think it was only about 200 pages, if that. So a very cute little little Christmas mystery there. The second one is The Christmas Murder Game by Alexandra Benedict. Lily has left her family home when she was about 11, and her mother allegedly committed suicide. Her aunt has died recently and sent Lily a letter saying, actually, your mother was murdered. And if you come back to the house and we'll have a Christmas treasure hunt like we used to, all answers will be revealed. And whoever wins the treasure hunt will get to inherit the house. She goes back. Her cousins are all there. Things get dark pretty quickly. This is not a good idea. <laughs> no, it, it was not. And then, of course, they all get snowed in and people start dying. Uh, you know, <laughs> obviously, that's what we, we all knew where it was going. I don't know why they didn't know that. This was pretty fun as well. So you've got every day they for the 12 days of Christmas, they get a new sonnet that has clues to where... There's a key and it all helps you to win the game in the end. So you get to see the puzzles that they're trying to solve. But she's also the author has hidden anagrams for the 12 days of Christmas plus Christmas stories that she loves in the chapters. So there's little games for you to play as well. So that was pretty fun. It's it goes pretty dark. I mean, there's a lot of murder and family trauma in this book. And then I think because she's trying to hide the anagrams, she writes the whole thing in, in a somewhat stilted and puts odd words in. So you don't necessarily, it's not super easy to find her anagrams, but it was cool. If you like games and wordplay, then this be, could be a fun one to check out. 
that's all the Christmas ones I've done so far. Regular Mystery, A Death in Tokyo by Keigo Higashino, translated by Giles Murphy. This is the second one I've read. The first one was Malice. Detective Kaga is our main guy. In this one, a man stumbles down a street in the center of Tokyo. He goes right by the police station to the center of a very famous bridge where he collapses. When the cop on duty sees him and goes over to check it out, he finds the man is dead with a knife in his chest. So now I've got to figure out who he is. Why did he go past the police station to the middle of the bridge? And so we get some of it from Detective Kaga's point of view. We get a lot from the victim's son. We get stuff from the suspect's girlfriend. It was pretty good. I didn't enjoy it quite as much. There was a lot of moving pieces that did all end up coming together, but it felt a little more scattered than the first one to me. But it was a good, good plot. I will be checking out the next one in a little bit. And then we get a murder, murder in space. So what? I know. This one I loved. The Spare Man by Mary Robinette Cole. Tesla Crane is a telecommunications heiress in the near future. I think the late... 2070s maybe and she is on her honeymoon she is cruising from the moon to mars uh, with her new husband and all is going very well until there is a murder in the vip section where they are staying and her husband is mistakenly arrested so she and her dog are trying to figure out what happened because there seems to be some sort of cover-up going on it was delightful oh my gosh so fun a mystery but there's humor in it as well. Every chapter starts off with a cocktail, which I thought was really fun. And that actually is important to the whole plot. Another book with a ton of representation. Um, Tesla was in an accident and has mobility issues now. And so a lot of the book is her dealing with the pain that she's in. There's a lot of stuff about pronouns and just how it's being used there, which I thought was really nice. Her husband is also uh, very into crochet and embroidery. No, her lawyer is into crochet. Her husband is into embroidery. So as a fiber artist, I really appreciated that as well. And it's got a cute little dog and magic and cruise life and space. And it was a really great mystery. And I just enjoyed the whole entire thing. I might actually want to buy a copy just to have it in, in real life, which does not often happen. So then continuing with the sort of sci-fi fantasy books, The Water Outlaws by S.L. Huang. Lin Chong is a trainer for the military in China, works for the emperor, and she has always, you know, as a woman, kind of kept her head down and done her job and has been quiet. It all goes to pieces. She finds herself accused of treason and sent off to a work camp um, and then almost assassinated on the way to the camp. She is rescued by the water outlaws. They turn out to be Robin Hood type outlaws, trying to save the little man from all the corruption in government. And so Lin Chong is trying to figure out how she feels about that. She's always been very law and order, black and white, and things are a little more gray in, in the real world. It's very much like reading a martial arts movie. Lots of big, huge fight scenes. The final battle reminded me very much of the battle for Helm's Deep. I will say, excellent stuff. That is a classic, classic scene. Lots of female empowerment in this as well. A little bit of magic and some cool Chinese history as well. So I enjoyed that one a lot. 
And then finally, Happiness Falls by Angie Kim. No magic, no cocktails. We do have a little murder mystery. Well, no, we don't. We don't know. Actually, that's the whole point of it. Mia is 20-something. She is home from college because there was this pandemic. Uh, Her twin brother is home as well. Her parents and their younger brother is 14 and is autistic and not speaking. He and the dad go out for a walk one morning. The brother comes home by himself, which is not ever something that should happen. He's very agitated and the dad doesn't ever come home. So now the family is trying to figure out what happened. The only witness is this brother who isn't able to speak. So there's, there's again, a whole lot of, of there's family issues, there's racism, they're a Korean and white American family, there's disability access, there's, there's a lot of threads in this one. It's, it's dark, and I hadn't read any of her other books, so I didn't quite know which way any of it was going to go. It's hard all the way through, but I think there's a lot of really beautiful parts about their family and the way they work together that I ended up really enjoying it. I think you have, she's not maybe your favorite author, but it was, it was one that I'm glad I read. I think I might, what, what's, what's the other, her other novel? Miracle Creek, I yes, think. Yeah. That one didn't land well for me, but I would read her again. I think yeah. she's a great writer and I appreciate yeah. good writing. Yeah. Yeah. I have three for you. Excellent. Alias Emma by Ava Glass. Oh, I read that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This is a really satisfying spy novel. We have Emma, a young British spy of Russian descent, and she she is tasked with rescuing Michael, who is similarly aged and in danger. She's got to make her way through London with Russian spies on her tail. And it's got so many great London references, little leaps back in time that sort of flesh out her story and how she became a spy and the impact of that. Very fun while I was painting camellias. So you listened to it. I listened yeah, to it. Yeah, I think one. I listened to it as well. Yeah, it was yeah. great. And tremendous potential for a series. I I'm believe hoping. it is a series, yeah. yeah. Uh, then I have for you Vaster Wilds by Lauren Groff which Monica also read. This is the one where girl, she's not really named. I mean, she has a name, but she goes by girl, survives in the early 1600s wilderness after the starvation season at the Jamestown settlement. Monica's already talked about the the plot of this. And this isn't an easy, I mean, this isn't like girl goes into the woods and pets fawns and hunts. She is not Snow White. No. no, she's not. This is really difficult. This is like hunger, abuse, male dominance, fear, foraging, survival, loneliness. This is a female version of the many, many male protagonists who have gone into the woods and conquer. you know, the man versus nature archetype. It was really refreshing to have a female counterpoint if only to show the similarity in some ways and to show that she was a strong young woman who was determined. But it is not, it's not a cozy winter read. It's really, this is asking you to like watch and bear witness, I feel. Mm -hmm. So, but it is exceptional and I highly recommend it. Um, It's just, it's a trickier piece. 
And then another Monica Reed. Uh oh. All three? Shark Heart. Oh, yes. A love story. I have a gigantic smile on my face if you can't hear that coming through because this novel by Emily Habick is so exactly written for someone like me (laughs) in that it is very weird and very wonderful. And this is how I want to end the year with you, Monica. Thank you for recommending this. For some reason, I don't know that I... It wasn't crossing my path until you recommended it. Um, it was a modern Mrs. Darcy summer read, I think. Hmm. That was how I found it. It's yeah. so weird and excellent. So we have Lewis and Wren. They are newlyweds. Lewis becomes a shark. He has a medical mutation. Wren is dealing with that transition. And it, it happens to other humans that they become animal mutations, and so society has, it's, it felt akin to getting a terminal diagnosis. Like it's something that happens regularly in this world's society. But other than that, things are pretty, I mean, a shark is particularly difficult because it's not like a koala, you know, like he must go live in his natural environment at some point how they navigate their life up until that point is so imaginative and incredible. And I'm just reeling from the whole thing. I thought it was so beautiful. Ren has, she's not just a bystander in this. She has her own childhood trauma and healing. And she must also say goodbye to her husband. And it is just this impactful, moving, imaginative novel that is so weird that it couldn't not be human. Like it is so human and weird. (laughs) I love it. Anyway, Shark Heart. (laughs) I'm making my book club read it in the spring. So I'm very glad that you enjoyed it. If anybody knows of other books like that, please let me know because it's definitely my genre. It falls into... The other one, the octopus one that we read. Oh, Remarkably Bright Creatures. Remarkably Bright Creatures. One of my favorite movies is My Octopus Teacher. Mm. I mean, it doesn't have to be about an aquatic animal. (laughs) I just, I think it's excellent. So good. All right. That is it for this year. I hope that you and all of you listening have a really great season with your family. The world is pretty crazy with everything that's going on. And I know that it's important to bear witness and to to take all of that into account. We're not trying to make you look away. We hope you know that we're thinking of you. We're super grateful for everyone who listens either once in a while or regularly. And we wish you all a really great season. And we will see you in the new year. And until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Hello, and welcome to episode 130. Is that right? Oh, my gosh. It is. Craziness. Uh, (laughs) I'll throw that at the end. I thought I could make it a smooth transition, but no. Can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or Courtney SF at C O R T N E Y S F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M A G D O N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. 
Thanks for listening.